1997, Lucasfilm celebrated the 20th anniversary of Star Wars with the trilogy's return to theaters. The updated versions included previously unused sequences and technological enhancements to the picture quality and score. For many fans, the era of the special editions was a meaningful one. It was a celebration of the films that captured the imaginations of an entire generation and changed movie-making forever. It honored a popular culture masterpiece, and it also gave many a chance to reflect upon its legacy. In an interview with Entertainment Tonight, George Lucas focused on the risk of creating something new and unknown, and how an audience's hearty embrace of a project can often overshadow what it took to produce something novel. Speaking about the challenges in bringing a concept like Star Wars to the big screen, Lucas said, American Graffiti and Star Wars, THX, were completely off-the-wall movies. People think of them now as very conventional, but at the time, I couldn't get them made. They were too experimental. They were too strange. We don't understand it. What is this about a Wookiee? I don't get it. But you can only really have breakthroughs like that when you are able to take the risk on something that isn't obviously commercial or going to be socially accepted. But the path to success is rarely, if ever, easy. And the lasting legacy Lucas crafted with all of the people who had ever worked on the films, the books, the comics, the audio stories, the action figures, the collectibles, the attractions, and on everything else that bore the name Star Wars was solidified during those first two decades. Each creator, each actor, each designer, and each storyteller became part owner of a universe that was unlike anything that ever came before it, and they made it for all of us. And during the franchise's 20th anniversary, actor Harrison Ford, who played the hero Han Solo, spoke about the special editions. He said, I'm delighted that this film we made 20 years ago is still enjoying an audience. Kids who have never seen it except on television now have a chance to see it on the big screen in a theater where it is so much more powerful and fun. I'm very pleased that it worked. Not only did it work in 1997, but the Star Wars fandom has only grown and flourished in the decades since the special editions premiered in theaters around the world. Those who saw the original release in 1977, as well as the updated versions in 1997, went on to become passionate fans of the stories and content, and collectors of the action figures and of Star Wars memorabilia. They created content and resources of their own around the franchise, connected with other fans and collectors, and became essential members of the community. Soon, local regional Star Wars clubs formed across the country, inviting more people to dive deeper together as a unit into the world Lucas created. And this year, the Washington, D.C. Metro Area Star Wars Collecting Club celebrates its 20th anniversary an incredible milestone for a club whose kindness and influence has continually impacted the lives of others. This is a roundtable discussion with some of the core members of the DC Club on the eve of its 20th anniversary celebration. This is a look at the past two decades of the DC Club and how and why it continues to thrive. This is what happens when you take a risk and venture into uncharted territory accompanied by the friends you make along the way. This is the story of the DC Collecting Club. 
And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Mike Kurtz formed the earliest iteration of the Washington, D.C. Metro Area Star Wars Collecting Club. While it originated as an online group, the club had its inaugural in-person meetup that same year, on September 13, 2003. And over the past 20 years, the club has been home to many collectors living in the Washington, D.C. area. What began as a way for collectors to buy and sell items, as well as to talk about all things Star Wars, has shifted into something bigger and even more meaningful. The club has served as a hub for collectors, and has led to deep friendships and a true sense of family. And that has always been the essence of Star Wars. The DC Club has been a positive force in the community as well, connecting with many local charities and raising money to support them through activities and creative creations. In 2016, members of the DC Club took part in an ICE event that allowed them to showcase their region. ICE is an acronym for International Collectors Event. It is a private gathering held every few years in which Star Wars collectors from around the world gather in a specific location of the country to tour collectors' homes and to attend group functions unique to the area. For Star Wars collectors, hosting an ICE event is truly an honor and takes a bantha-sized amount of planning and hard work to make it happen. And the DC Club met the challenge and provided its peers with a weekend to remember. Maintaining and growing a club over two decades is not an easy feat. And that's what makes the 20th anniversary of the DC Club so very special. To celebrate this milestone, members of the club are hosting what they call a Kessel Run on Saturday, April 22nd. A Kessel Run is a day-long tour in which attendees will travel from one collector's home to the next to see a variety of storied and impressive collections and to spend time with other collectors. And the 20th anniversary weekend will conclude on Sunday, April 23rd with a Star Wars celebration in Silver Spring, Maryland. The DC Club will kick off the event with a panel reflecting on its 20-year history, followed by a Lucasfilm-approved private screening of the film Return of the Jedi at the AFI Silver Theater and Cultural Center. Ahead of this monumental event, I wanted to sit down with some of the core members from the DC Club for a 20th anniversary roundtable. I've known some of them for years, and some of them are newer friends. But each one carries that passion for Star Wars and collecting that you and I both share. Today, we'll speak with Martin Thurn, Eric Janicki, Matt Fox, Tom Boone, 
Hector Hilario, Marcus Galloway, and Jonathan McElwain. Although they came into the club at different times and their collecting interests vary, they all share a similar heart and a true love for others. So please, grab your favorite beverage, come pull up a seat, and join us around the table as we get to know a little more about the DC Club from our friends who have made it a creative and meaningful group over the past two decades. Hello and welcome to the DC Collectors Club Roundtable. Uh, it is so nice to have you guys here. And uh, before we start, um, if you don't mind, I, I'd like to go around and uh, and just have each of you introduce yourselves and uh, and just to say a little quick thing about yourselves. And I'd, I'd like to know who your favorite Star Wars character is as well. So uh, Martin, we'll start with you. My name is Martin Thurn. I'm the current president of DCSWCC. My favorite character is Yoda. Marcus. I'm Marcus Galloway, a, a nine-year member of the DC Club, and my favorite character is Kit Fisto. Tom. Yeah, my name is Tom Boone, and I've been a member of the DC Collecting Club uh, pretty much from the beginning. I had a little gap uh, where I, I went on sabbatical. Uh, my favorite character is probably uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Matt. Uh, hi, this is um, Matthew Fox. I've been in the DC Club since 2005, and um, my favorite character is uh, Palpatine. Jonathan. Hi, David. Uh, my name's Jonathan McElwain. I live in Stafford, Virginia. I'm one of our southernmost members. Uh, I've been in the club since uh, 2006. My favorite character is R2-D2. Hector. Hector Lario. been a member of the DC Star Wars Collecting Club since 2009. Uh, favorite character will probably be Darth Vader. Eric. This is Eric Janicki. Um, I would have to ask Martin because I always forget how long I've been a DC club member, but I know he keeps good records. Um, and I live in Maryland. Uh, and I guess my favorite character is either Luke or R2-D2. Okay, those are all pretty good answers. The correct answer is Ahsoka Tano, but uh, thank you for playing. Um <laughs> So, so gentlemen, and I'll start with uh, with Martin. What is the purpose of the DC Club? the The club was founded. I think the the main purpose, which holds through to today, is actually pretty simple, and it's for collectors to help and support each other in their collection and in their fandom. Is there a mission statement that goes with the club as well? That's a good question. I don't remember. Do we, Matt? Do we have a mission statement in our charter? I don't. Um, there's a preamble. If you don't have a definitive mission statement, what is what would you say is the unofficial mission statement of the club? 
I'll try to answer this. I think it is just to uh, help collectors to to get together to buy, sell, trade, and talk Star Wars. Um, you know, in person at least once a month, and online every week. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think that's grown uh, to from just being a collecting thing to being a personal uh, friendship thing among the members. So, um, yeah, it's a big part of it is the collecting, but there's also a great social aspect of it uh, where I think a lot of us have become pretty good friends. And um, for the club, I think it's um, there is that charitable aspect of it, uh, which is important. And uh, I, th- I think that that pretty well covers it. It's a really solid foundation on which to build a club, and you know it's amazing that it's it's lasted this long and that it's thriving. Um, so, Marcus, what do you feel makes the DC Club unique? Well, like I, I, I knew about the club for a number of years, and uh, because of my job, I moved around a lot. Was never able to sync up, and when I finally did join, I felt like I was coming coming out of a dark cloud. Uh, I wasn't really a collector. Um, I just didn't have the opportunity, and I didn't have the knowledge. And it's like uh, I hit warp speed when I joined the club. So I, I learned a lot about the community. All I had was podcasts before that. Uh, and then now seeing people face-to-face, not going to Celebration alone, not going to local conventions alone, actually uh, kind of getting a, a family with the community. So, uh, I mean, to me, that's the most important aspect of the club. It really is. And and I think we've all been blessed as club members um, to feel – that sense of family, you know, regardless of which regional club it is, a lot of us are actually members of multiple clubs, uh, you know, throughout the, the country and throughout the world, which is nice. Um, so, Matt, it sounds like you have a, uh, a, a definitive or at least a written um, mission statement. So could you share the mission statement with us? Sure. The, uh, the mission statement, the official legal mission statement of the Star Wars club, of our club, is uh, that it, its purpose is to allow members to, to enjoy opportunities to share in and celebrate uh, their common enthusiasm for the Star Wars films and entertainment, memorabilia, and collecting. And through the club, the members are able to help each other, foster friendships, educate one another, and engage in community activities. Okay. And, and Hector, as someone who's been in the club for a while, what does it mean to you? Um, pretty much what the guys have said already. Just uh, you start out as a collector and then you move on to making uh, strong bonds with uh, your fellow collectors. Um, then you start volunteering, uh, doing um, volunteer work at different conventions, assisting uh other potential members and other people in answering questions and assisting in any way you can. I love that it starts out as, as an entrance for you. And then it allows you to really take part into something and to be active and involved. Um, so how many members uh, are in the, the DC club currently? Officially we have right around 50 or 55 members. Martin, when did the club begin? The club started in the summer of 2003, technically as a Yahoo group uh, created by Mike Kurtz. And he got a great response 
uh, overwhelmed his expectations, I think. And within just a couple months, he scheduled a face-to-face meeting at a local library uh, here in Virginia. And uh, there were 18 people at that first meeting. And uh, we, we, it's a, it was a, I, I'll never forget it. We sat around the, 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 we, we put the, we had chairs around the perimeter of the room and we just kind of sat there and started each other for a while. <laughs> it was very <laughs> awkward because we, nobody knew each other, but, uh, sure. it, it's great to see how the club has blossomed since then. Uh, we've kept up the, uh, tradition of monthly in-person meetings. We have not missed a month, uh, except for COVID, during COVID, uh, but we still had, uh, virtual meetings and, uh, outside parking lot meetings before they let us indoors and uh, it just been a whirlwind of activity ever since 20 years ago. What propelled you to want to be part of the club? And, and, you know, for all of you who set it up initially and who were there at the first meetup, what was that like? Um, because I know I've spoken to people um, I'm part of the Empire State Club and a few others, and I've spoken to many people where their first experience is somewhat of a an intimidating one, a scary one, you know, where you're taking that step and going, okay, I'm going into somebody's house or I'm going into a library where I'm going to be with people I don't know. Um, so if a few of you would like to speak to this, how, how was that, that first meetup for you? Well, I wasn't at the first one. Um, I, I did come to the second meeting. I was actually, I saw that the, uh, the first one was happening probably on a rebel scum, uh, posting or something like that. But I was, uh, too intimidated to go to it myself. I thought, Oh, this, this, uh, no, no, I couldn't possibly do something like that. But Joe clock, uh, who's, who's, uh, one of the members who was at that very first meeting. And I just coincidentally bought something from him on eBay and he, we kind of became friends that way. And he told me, you need to go to this meeting. And I said, okay. So I went to the second meeting and the second meeting was a little more lively than, than Martin describes the first one. As a matter of fact, somebody there had a real uh, issue with uh, Hayden Christensen's performance of of Anakin Skywalker, (laughs) causing one of the female attendees to go running out of the room crying. And it was totally awkward. We were completely befuddled. And um, I I think since then, we've all we've all kind of tempered those sorts of uh, those sorts of outbursts. Um, But it's been. Yeah, I I think anytime you go into a new group of people, it's always going to be awkward. And at the time, I, I think people forget uh, in 2002, 2003, it wasn't really that cool to be into these things. I mean, certainly when I was in high school back in the 90s, you never talked about uh, being involved, you know, interested in Star Wars or Star Trek or sci-fi stuff. I mean, they would have just shoved you in a locker, right? So um, I think a lot of that, I carried that a lot of that sort of intimidation and fear and you know, shame uh, well into my adulthood. But uh, I've, I've since gotten over it, of course. But um, I think that's that's a big problem that kind of uh, inhibits people from coming to these to these sorts of things. Um, we do get we've had a lot of people. He, he mentioned we had 50 people now, but we've had Martin. How many have we had hundreds of people over the years that have come and gone? For reasons I, you know, who knows? People get in and out of this stuff, but um, it's it's it is intimidating. But I think 
if you if you come to these meetings and you you see a lot of the same people there, and you know there's that core group that's always there, and I think that people become comfortable with that core group, like Martin, and um, there's there's some other guys that have been there for a really long time too. I think most of us have been there for a long time, so I think people come, they see the same people over and over again, and that relieves a lot of tension. I'd just like to add one thing. Yeah. Sure. I, I, as probably, I think on this call, I'm, I'm the newest member. And so I joined, you know, the club was a little more than 10 years on. Um, and I knew about it for a few years. So it's like, I already knew I was walking into a group of people that all knew each other. Uh, so I got to admit that first meeting was a little uh, intimidating to some degree. Uh, you know, I'm the new guy, right? Some people are staring me down. Some people are talking to me, but you know what? I don't know what, you know, we have star Wars in common, but what does that mean? And I, I just want to throw out kind of a, a, a mention to Bob Martinazzi, uh, you know, he talked to me the first meeting among a lot of other people. But when I came back to the second meeting, he immediately walked up to me, shook my hand, said, I'm glad you came back. And I think that's important for anybody out there listening that, you know, when you, for the, that's not that's not sure about going into this situation. Hopefully someone on the other end is going to welcome them. And, and uh, I, I think that just that that ends all your questions and all your fears. I like I said before, during the introductions, I joined in 2005. Uh, I. It was right before Revenge of the Sith. I had been uh, some members of the club, Mike Kurtz uh, and a couple others were handing out flyers at the Toys R Us Midnight Madness uh, for the episode three toys. Uh, So that's how I I knew the club existed in the abstract. I had just moved back to D.C. a couple months before. um, But, you know, this was my first direct contact with anybody in the club. So I went to the next meeting and sort of the antithesis of what Martin said at the first meeting, I mean, by this point, the club's existed for maybe a year and a half, uh, and it, it looked like it had been going for 20 years. I mean, it was, uh, this might have been maybe the peak of Star Wars collecting when Episode 3 came out. It was crowded. It was rambunctious. There was uh, all sorts of activities going on. There were people selling things, buying things, trading. There were T-shirts being distributed. They were preparing for celebration, which was a couple weeks away. Uh, and it was just, it was overwhelming. And I thought, what an amazing, active, fun thing this is. And I mean, I was I was sold at that moment. Uh, so, I mean, that's an example of in really less than a year and a half, it went from this junior high dance where everybody's just staring at each other and scared to speak to, um, you know, a, you know, a state fair carnival experience. So, I mean, it was, uh, I was really impressed from the start. Matt, what do you think changed in that year and a half? Well, I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know. I think these, I think the word got out about the club, even before I moved back to DC, I knew there was a DC club. And I think it's probably like Tom said, he saw it in rebel scum. It was probably something like that. So I knew the club existed even living in the Midwest at the time. Uh, I think they just, it was the right mix of people at the right time. And, you know, a lot of those original members, you know, most of them are gone or long gone. They were committed to the club and they were committed to making it work. And they were getting the word out. They were handing out these flyers and, trying to bring people in. And there were, you know, there were, if, there were 50 people in this library on that day. If there were 10, you know, it was, it was full and it seemed everybody knew one another. I think it just, it was the right mix of people at the right time uh, with, with people behind it who were dedicated to making it work. 
and it succeeded. That first meeting that Matt attended was actually so rambunctious that we got kicked out of the library and banned forever. Oh my gosh. That's true. Well, yes. Why, why, why was library? it? Um... The, the actual reason we got banned is because the libraries do not allow uh, money changing hands in, in, in the library. And of course people are doing trades and deals and, I bought this for you and I got that for the other guy and the librarian apparently saw us changing money and kicked us out. Wow. I remember that. That was a big deal for a while afterwards, but it must be said those things were like Matt said, they were, they were like carnivals. The guys were bringing crates, literally gigantic plastic crates full of toys and just, I mean, it looked like a show. Some of these some of these meetings looked like a toy show. It was like going to a little mini Star Wars celebration, you know, in Loudoun County or something like that. It was it was it was packed. They were packed and there was just tons of stuff to to buy and and sell. And it was encouraged and everybody, you know, everybody that, that, that was the reason to go was just to, to go and buy stuff. There's probably hundreds of thousands of dollars exchanging hands in those those, those early meetings. Well, and of course, as collectors, um, the opportunity to go to a place where you can pick up stuff for your collection, regardless of what it is, whether it's posters or figures or prototypes, um, is, is certainly a draw. And to have that excitement as well, too, as you said, where, uh, Matt, you know, from your first your first trek out, uh, you know, basically going to a place that was shut down uh, <laughs> you know, afterwards, um, I've noticed on your website, on the, on the club website, that... Um, you guys are still having meetups taking place at uh, a library. It sounds like almost every month. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Well, that's not a hundred percent correct, right? I mean, like, we, the, the, I know the board has started to try to, in, you know, introduce more social items in lieu of the library meetings, right, guys? Yeah, we try to mix it up, but we definitely meet every month. Yeah, oh yeah, we we'll, meet we meet we'll monthly. I think the idea is that the library is is a public place. Uh, it's not in somebody's house, you know, and and um, you know people can. It's it's just easier for the members, you know, for, for for us members to have people come there rather than. And in fact, when when we have meetings at people's houses or you know, we, we don't. Those are not announced publicly. It's it's it's. I think the public library meetings act as a way to. Um, you know, allow new members to come in. And then once we kind of get to know you and you've kind of established yourself as a, you know, as, as, as a member in good standing, so to speak, um, you, you'll start to find out about these, you know, other uh, meetings at, at people's houses. So, yeah, the, the, the library meetings act as sort of like a gateway drug. And I like that you have a set standard meeting and then you do all these other outside meetings and events um so jonathan can you give us an idea of what a typical dc club meetup is like yeah well i mean just to just to uh, i guess hammer the the library thing to anybody thinking about um you know uh, doing this sort of thing the library is a really good option as as tom or someone else said it it is sort of a neutral ground right so it's it's sort of 
it would be more intimidating, I think, to end up showing up for your first meeting as at somebody's house. You know, that's kind of a whole nother level of maybe overcoming shyness that's inherent in a lot of us. But the other thing is that that space is free, right? And you don't find much of that, even in sort of community buildings or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's sort of a good, not a loophole, that's the wrong word, but it, it's a good way um, to, to get it. Really, for the most part, you just have to sign up for those spaces. And we've already kind of talked about the, the pitfalls of that. But, you know, at this point, it seems like, you know, it you know, roughly half of our meetings in a year, maybe more than that, are library meetings. But um, yeah, those events at collector houses are are the other thing. And and when I first started joining, a lot of times we would be doing a library meeting, but the the local collectors kind of in the area around that meeting would open up their houses before or after the meeting. Um, but as we've sort of grown to know each other more, especially sort of the core group. Um, you know, a lot of people open up and, and we'll have meetings at people's houses in, instead. So, but if I talk about the the library meetings, they, they are sort of a formal affair, right? There's, there's a lot of kind of, you know, just getting to know each other, but then there's, a, it's relatively short, the formal part of the meeting. But um, I know my friend Eric loves the treasurer's report. He can't wait to hear that every, every month. <laughs> yes. But, you know, there'll, there'll be a report, you know, from Martin about kind of what's going on, a treasurer's report talking about sort of where we're at in our charitable kind of, you know, mostly geared towards the charitable uh, stuff that we're doing, um, you know, discussions of upcoming stuff. But a lot, you know, that part is re- fairly simple. And then it kind of goes back to just people, you know, catching up and, and, you know, wheeling and dealing and all that good sort of thing. I like that you have that balance. And I think it's really important because even having a small formal segment um, in your standard meetings shows that you care, you have the the, the charitable aspect that you're you're working on, um, you're also working toward the future of the club as well too, and that this isn't just something where you all choose to just kind of come together, hang out, and and then leave. There is uh, an element of it that is that is really important, you know. And I think a lot of times, um, sometimes clubs forget about that that consistency, you know, and, and, and the planning behind it and the, the checking in and, and making sure that everything is going the way that you, you want it to be. So it's nice that you have that. And then the majority of it is, is spending time together. Um, for any of you that have hosted a, a meetup at your house, uh, what, what's that been like? Well, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so, you know, one of the things that the club did when I started, it was, there was a fairly, it was almost all library meetings, and then, but then twice a year the club would do social events. There was a summer social and, and a winter social. Um, and in recent years, it seems like we've gotten away from the summer social, but we still do sort of a, a winter social around the holiday times. Um, so I hosted one of the summer socials. It was, you know, a lot of fun to kind of have people out. Um, you know, one of the strange things, I guess, is that, you know, although we're all DC metro area, we all live fairly far from one another. So if I think about everyone on this call, you know, um, you know, it's, it's like at least an hour from my house to anybody else's house. So, 
um, it always feels a little bit like you're putting people out to kind of have them out to your place. But that's really true of all of us. We, we're, we're really sort of an outer circle around the, the D.C. area. But it's it's great to have people over uh, to visit your collection and, um, you know, kind of just share with them. You know, they, they might see what you bring or what you talk about. Um, but it's just really rewarding to have people over to your place and, and really share at a, at a higher level kind of what it is you like to collect. And I know I enjoy that on the flip side. I love going to see people's collections. I get inspired by the ways they display things, the things that they find are important, um, and just hearing their stories about their collections. So I really relish the, um, that part of our, our, our hobby and, and our group. As collectors, that's really a way for us to get to know other people. Um, because once we see what they collect, we see how their mind works, what's in their heart. And, uh, and I, I found that doing tours of, of other friends' collections um, helps me to not only understand them better, but to get closer to them. So it is nice. Anytime somebody opens their home, I think that's an amazing thing uh, because a lot of times you're opening it to strangers as well too. And there's a, a mutual respect that happens with these events. Um, is there anyone else who's, who's hosted? Um, yeah. Hosting it's, it's a lot of work, but it's uh fun and necessary work because it gets you to uh, rearrange and, take care of some of those projects that you kind of put to the side. Uh, so it, they're, they're a lot of fun and just having people over, it's, uh, you know, you, these people are not strangers. I mean, you see them once a month, you see them during the calls, you, you see them all the time. So, you know, it's just like having family over. It's a beautiful way of putting it. Oh, I, I haven't hosted and I've been at everybody's house, I think, except for Eric's. But I will say as an attendee, uh, it's a very expensive uh, process at the end because I always come home with a list of things that I got to have because somebody else has one. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the negative part if there is one. So I just wanted to point that out. Mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to host a, you know, a couple times. I think everybody here who has hosted has hosted more than once. Um, but it's, you know, it's... And, and it's not a showy thing. It's not a, you know, come on over here and look at all the great things that I have. Uh, but it's, if you didn't, if you didn't have people over to see, you know, you're sort of collecting like just, you know, in a vacuum or something almost. Uh, but, you know, it allows people to come over and they comment and they say, why did you put here this here? Or I know you have this. Why isn't it out? Or something like that. You know, you get input. And this is all, I mean, this is what we do. This is our hobby. And you know, it's an opportunity to, you know, get input and share with other other people and not in the abstract, but in actual, you know, concrete manner to get, you know, input onto to what you're doing and uh, maybe get some affirmation about the whole thing, which, you know, is always, always good when uh, the alternative is, you know, maybe you just have a bunch of boxes in your basement and you don't know what to do with it. You know, when you see other people's uh, collections, you get, you get ideas and you get motivated. Yeah. It's kind of the direct way that we make each other better collectors. I think it gives a purpose to collecting as well, too, that goes beyond just acquiring. Right. And, um, you know, having people that we can share it with, um, having the discussions, all of that really seems to, uh, to raise up what collecting means and what our hobby means. Um, 
Beautiful stuff. And I'm, I'm glad, you know, again, I always see it as a blessing anytime someone's willing to open their doors and to invite people in. And I think it, uh, Hector, as you were saying before, it does create a, a family, you know, where it goes beyond just people meeting together, either in a building or a room, but there, there is a, a true sense of community um, that way. So you guys have been doing a great job on it so far. I'd like to ask each of you this question here. Can you share with us a memorable club event that you've attended over the past two decades? So, Martin. Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind, so uh, that's apparently the most memorable for me, are the family picnics we had uh, down on the farm in rural Maryland. We had like maybe 100 people at some of those family picnics. We've got the, the, the babies playing on the blankets, all the moms getting together over here, and then the toddlers on the tire swing and the the tweens on the hayride. And it, it, it was an amazing experience to see everybody together like that, all brought together by, well, I mean, nerds who are Star Wars collectors. <laughs> and what was the purpose of these picnics? How did that come along? Uh, it's just one of the things that that the founder Mike Kurtz wanted to do because uh, we had a picnic that very first summer after the club was only around for eight months or whatever, and everybody brought their family and uh, it was just just uh, uh, kind of like a magical time and we we did that for I think we had six picnics at the farm. Those were the summer socials I referred to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Marcus, is there something that that has stuck out to you? Uh, An event, a meetup? Yeah, I mean, this might be an easy one. Um, I mean, going to celebration with a club is a lot different than not going with the club. Uh, You know, I did the first few by myself. Um, I have a couple friends that I met through that way, but they're not in the area. They're not part of this club. They live in different parts of the country. But going with the D.C. club, uh, and actually, you know, volunteering at the table for uh, the booth for a few hours, uh, uh, you know, kind of like I, I felt like I get I own celebration, you know, because I'm I'm there with people that are connected to other people and you get to yeah. see the other clubs there. And it's like you're nodding back and forth each other. You may not. And, uh, and that's how I started to get to know people from other places, parts of the world, um, not not as a collector, but just as a fan, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like you almost like being an insider at celebration and the club uh, brought me that. So. To me, that's kind of a, one of my favorite parts. That's really special. And anytime you go to Celebration, you know, it's it's a huge place, but just where you do feel like you have a, a team with you. I mean, I, I don't, you know, there are very few things that are as special as something like that. Um, I'm glad that resonates with you. Uh, Tom? I'm glad I had a few moments to think about this because the obvious answer is, of course, ice. And I, I hope somebody talks about that in a few minutes. But uh, on a really a very personal level, I uh, in 2012, I um, put together a convention, a comic and a sci-fi and comic convention for my daughter's school as a fundraiser. And I went to the club and I'd been out of the club for a couple of years and Martin graciously allowed me back in. And uh, I presented this uh, this fundraiser to the club. And uh, because the tables were dirt cheap, I think I was, you know, tables were like 25 bucks or something like that. Everybody in the club got a table. I mean, I just sold so many tables, but that wasn't the best part. The best part was that they all came 
And uh, and they set up at the show that day. It was a very successful show. It was a very successful fundraiser. And at the end of it, they all helped me clean up. And then everybody came down to my house and saw my collection for the first time. And I think that was probably the first time I ever really, it absolutely was the first time I ever had the opportunity to show off my collection to other Star Wars collectors. And certainly that, that number of Star Wars collectors. So, um, that was a really, uh, really important day. And, um, we did, we did it for two more years after that. And I just, I got completely tired of organizing a big comic convention by myself. And, um, but every time the guys came down to my house afterwards, and that was, you know, like I said, that was just really cool. It was the first time I was ever able to share with with other collectors, and it, it really was a lot of fun. I realized just how much I really enjoyed this. That's a really beautiful thing. Um, and I like that it, it went on even longer than, you know, just the first year as well, too. Uh, I know it's it's difficult to run something of that that scale, um, but it does sound like it was successful. And again, celebrating with inviting everyone over to your house afterwards and showing them your collection is really nice. Uh, Tom, what what kind of stuff do you collect? Well, Star Wars, David. Star Wars stuff. <laughs> what doesn't he collect? <laughs> I, well, I collect, yeah, I collect um, uh, the 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 action figures and vehicles. Of course, I collect it all loose. I also uh, have collected all the Marvel and Dark Horse comics. Um, pretty much, well, absolutely up to the the Disney sale. That's kind of my line in the sand was the Disney sale. Um, so the comics, cards, books. Uh, I have a good poster collection. Um, some ceramics. Um, yeah, that's 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 the that's the big part of my collection. Hey, so a, a trip to Tom's house sounds like a fun one. I hope <laughs> you can make it. I hope you come down, David. I would love to. I would absolutely love to see it. Absolutely. Yeah, you got an open invitation, but Matt, what is yours? Um, well, yeah, it would be real easy to say like ice, but that was a big thing, and it wasn't technically a club thing. And um, going to Tom Boone's for Christmas is now like a tradition as much as like going to your grandmother's house uh for the winter socials but uh you know and i mean i don't mean to be maudlin or bring down the whole proceedings but like there's one single meeting club meeting that i remember uh somebody earlier mentioned bob martinazzi who was a very important member of the club for a very long time from from the beginning and he died a few years ago um from cancer it wasn't sudden or anything uh, but he he died on the day of a club meeting, and a lot of people learned about it at the meeting, and it really just sort of became like a memorial for Bob, and it was really touching and emotional, but it wasn't, you know, people weren't crying or breaking down or anything. It sort of became, you know, a little celebration of him just because it happened on that day, and we were all coping with it at, at that moment at a club meeting. Uh, so, I mean... There's been a lot of happy, happy club meetings, but, you know, they're all happy and they all kind of blend together, of course, over 20 years. But that, for obvious reasons, uh, sort of stands out as, as the one meeting that I uh, probably remember most. Bob was a Luke Jedi collector, and um, he was somebody that I only had the chance to meet once. Um, but I was very fortunate to have known him through Sky and Steve's podcast uh, as well as uh, the website that he had where he logged uh, a lot of his his collection. Uh, and I learned a lot of, uh, about Luke Jedi from him. 
Um, so he was a blessing. I'm glad that that turned out to be a celebration. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a tough time. And at the same time too, it's nice that you were all able to be together during an announcement like that and, and during a, a time like that of, of losing a friend. It was also, uh, you know, amazing how many people turned up at his at his funeral. Not that that was a meeting by any stretch of the imagination, but they're, they're, we were all there. You know, it was it was we you know we we definitely lost uh, you know an important person. Um, you know, not just for the club, but we, you know we all lost a friend. And you know, it's it's funny how these things happen, um, where you know maybe you're not that tight with them. Uh, you know, I was I, for, for, speaking for myself, I wasn't that tight with Bob for, for a lot of years, but after we did ice, you know, we really, uh, kind of connected a little bit and, you know, and, and I, I, I liked him, you know, I really liked him and I don't know why, you know, it didn't work out earlier than that. And, and, um, so it's, it's, it's sad and to lose somebody, you would think in a, in a club like this, it wouldn't be that much of a big deal. You know, it's just like, oh. You know, it's just somebody died, but it really, it really was pretty impactful when, when he passed away. And, um, yeah, I, I, I miss him. And, and it's funny, Matt mentioned that Bob's death, death wasn't necessarily sudden and at his funeral and, re, uh, and, you know, the reception afterwards, they handed out these programs for his, the funeral and we often joke that Bob knew that collectors would be there because the program for his funeral had Bob with his, he was a droid builder and he had an R2 D2 um, that he took to the white house. He took to caps games and, you know, he was, he just loved, um, you know, showing his droid off for kids and families, but his picture, the, the program for his funeral had him on it with R2D2. So of course all the collectors wanted to keep in a copy but dang it, there was variations of the program with like the wrong date, his wrong age. And we also <laughs> joked that he purposely made, you know, you know, typos on the, you know, so us collectors would go crazy trying to sort through the basket to make sure we got one of each variation. So of that course. was kind of, a, that just put a smile on our face at his funeral. And as to echo what everyone else said, and Martin could probably, you know, say it the best. I mean, Bob was just a, such an integral member of our club and sorely missed by everyone. Bob joined the club at our third meeting and in, in a, in a way he kind of took it to the next level and he, he, or at least he was totally integral in getting the club to take off as it did. Um, he was, he was on the board of officers from the very beginning when he joined and he was active in, in everything we did, the charity, the special events, the, uh, pic picnics and socials. And, um, it, it it's kind of scary to, to think what the club would be like without Bob. Yeah, there are people who come into our lives and sometimes they're here for a short time and sometimes they're here for a long time, but um, they have incredible, they make an incredible impact upon our lives. And, um, you know, 
I, I think in if you were to look at the various clubs, I mean, there are so many people that are like Bob, who have a heart, who have uh, an interest, you know, a, a true collector's passion, and um, and so for me, this getting into these collecting clubs and getting into the world of Star Wars, it was something that started out as you know, very simply just liking the the figures that I grew up with, the ones from my childhood, and it's turned into something much, much more. And again, what I keep hearing from from all of you is that the 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 friendships that have developed, the family aspect that we have as collectors, um, you know, it it just seems, I it, you know, it seems to be one of the reasons why a club like yours has thrived for twenty years. I mean. This is, you know, you were asking the question, what's our favorite events? And a couple of events came to my mind, but I mean, ultimately it's, it's not one in particular. It's the times that I travel with other club members to other events. Um, you know, we carpool together to meetups in New York or in Pennsylvania, or we, you know, travel together to celebration as Marcus mentioned earlier. And it's just those times where you're just, hanging out with each other and living life, you know, not necessarily talking about collectibles or Star Wars stuff, you know, you're just talking about life and their families. And for me, that's an important part of this club in my life is having meaningful relationships with other, other adults, you know, and it's just great that we can talk about Star Wars and collecting and stuff. But at the end of the day, that that's just things and stuff, you know, and, and items in your life. I mean, what you really value and treasure are those meaningful relationships with. And I mean, over the years, I've been part of the DC club. I've been very fortunate to forge, you know, many relationships with, you know, everyone on this podcast and many others. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what's important to me, David. And bourbon. And I love sharing a drink with other collectors. I yet to ever turn anyone down. So if you offer me a drink to sit and talk, uh, I'll be there for you. So Eric, I'm going to take that as your answer. But um, if you if you had to mention maybe one specific meetup or one specific event, could you? Yeah. So if there is one specific event I can point to that I, I just wanted to you know highlight is um, one of our members, Bill McBride used to live in Virginia and now lives in Texas. And he's like working on spaceships and stuff, real, real spaceships. Um, but we had the, he invited the club to come to his house uh, to help count his Darth Vader collection um, for the Guinness book of world records um, audit. So the, the Guinness book of world records was there to, to um, I guess, confirm. And we were all there to help, count every piece in his Vader collection. And sure enough, he was uh, announced as the person who has the world's largest Darth Vader collection. So that was kind of fun. Um, and I remember, it, you know, that there was a video crew there. They did a little mini, like 10 minute documentary about it. Um, and it was just a fun day hanging out with everyone. And I, I actually remember it as a time where that's when I was invited to be a host, a host um, for the, the ICE event that DC uh, hosted in 2016. Uh, Martin asked me that day to, to be a host. So I kind of always felt that, you know, that was a special time for me that they thought, you know, that enough of me as a club member to, to be a host for ICE. But yeah, so Bill McBride being the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, he originally was in the, the DC Star Wars Collecting Club. So that was kind of cool. It's very it's cool. Uh, a day at, at Bill's house is always a good one. Um, yep. Jonathan, how about you? 
I'm going to cheat a little and talk about a category of events. Um, and I guess if you need to press me, you can press me for one of them. But we've done a lot of midnight events. Um, so, um, and I suppose midnights is, is in quote, but we've done a lot of midnight, uh, you know, toy release events. And I gave up collecting toys a long time ago, but you know, I have a nostalgia for, you know, when I, when I did go and have sort of skin in the game and, and, and want to do those things. So those of us on the sort of, you know, the, the Virginia crew, I suppose, um, it's been a bit now. Right. But, um, you know, I've had a lot of fun. I, the first one I remember, I think was the one for the release of, of Clone Wars toys that, that I was in the club and involved in, in going to, um, but, you know, subsequent to that with the sort of sequel movie releases and whatever the ones they've done, um, I think I've made it to most of those. So we usually gather for, a, we would usually gather for a meal and then we, you know, we would typically go to, you know, the Toys R Us, which is of course, sadly, sadly now gone. But, um, those have been really fun events and, you know, it was usually like a half dozen of us that would show up, but it really sort of, for me, um, emphasized in a way the difference between kind of when I was a, a younger collector collecting in a vacuum, I was going to these midnight sales and I didn't know anybody in this line of 30 people. Whereas, you know, now I was sort of one of, you know, a you know, person there who had a, you know, a whole crew of people and it was just way more fun to kind of be there with, with your buddies kind of doing that, even if you weren't necessarily interested in, in the things that were happening. And then the, the other thing, you know, why midnight is in quotes, you know, we've, we've done a lot of the kind of, um, you know, night before the movie opens, uh, movie screenings at the, uh, the Alamo draft house in, in, uh, Ashburn out near where Matt and, and Hector and, and, um, Martin lives. So those have been a lot of fun too. just, you know, going to see the movie for the first time again with you, with your group of friends from the club. It's doesn't get much better than that. No, we haven't had one in a while. When you think about it, um, they stopped doing the midnight releases and, um, the last movie that came out was 2019. So hopefully we'll have uh, more of those because I, I think they're, they're one of those special mile markers, you know, whether it's collecting or just being a star Wars fan. Yeah, definitely missing uh, missing those at this point. So with the you know future movies, maybe that'll change. And Hector, what would be yours? Well, I'm on the slightly different boat in the fact that uh, Star Wars, uh, in my situation, it's a family activity. Uh, my youngest one is a focus collector. My wife does a lot of swag. She's the brains behind all the handmade swag. Uh, my oldest one likes to purchase stuff that she can wear. Um, so for me, I guess the ice event was probably the one that comes to mind as being the most memorable because um, not only did I not get any sleep for like two days, I was literally setting stuff up until about 15 minutes before everybody showed up. But uh, just seeing uh, my youngest one do the tours and show everybody and her being very proud as to what she collects and where she got things from. Um, that, that, that would probably be the most memorable event. And what was the ice event? It was uh, members from pretty much around the world that uh, came over. And um, I was uh, hosting part of the uh, Kessel Run uh, 
on a Saturday where people will go from house to house and ended up, I think that night we ended up at uh, Bill's, yeah, Bill McBride's house. Uh, it was just a whole weekend uh, where people came over and, uh, and, and partake on, on all the celebration that we had planned uh, from the club here in D.C. It's the International Collectors event, and it's usually hosted by a particular region, um, generally in the United States, I believe so far, and um, a, a region of, of collectors will host uh, different events in the area, and then we'll have meetups at their homes. And so it's nice to know that uh, that DC was one of these, you know, host areas. Um, and it, it sounds like it was a wonderful time as well, too. Um, when when was the ICE event? Uh, we held the ICE. We call it Dice for DC ICE. Uh, Dice was a Labor Day weekend of 2016. It's, there's a lot of planning that goes into those events um but it's totally worth it we get uh 100 or so of the of the kind of top collectors from around the world to visit your collection it's just a a, a major uh, well accomplishment is one way to put it but just a point of pride i guess for for collectors yeah, it's it's a great event, and um, you know it is it is really special, and it it's one of those that it brings in people from really literally all over the world. Um, okay, I want to get into the the structure and the culture of the club a little bit. Um, Eric, what do you think is the secret to the club's longevity? The free table. <laughs> so the secret sauce. Yeah, the secret toss is the no. I, I'm half joking. I, so I will. I do want to talk about the free table that we that's kind of been a tradition at our club meetings. But I think the secret sauce is just that we we make it about the people and and again I, I mentioned earlier um, just about the relationships. Um, it, it's we're more concerned with not necessarily what you collect or what item you got, even though those are all questions at our meetings we it sparks conversation you know hey what did people pick up new this this month um we, we just we're just there to support each other and i think as matt said that's in our mission statement and martin said that you know we're there to support each other um and what comes of that is just personal relationships and you just get to know folks and you get invested you know so you're not just there to try to buy something or to try to sell something you're there to become invested in these other collectors lives. And, um, I don't know. I don't, I just think that's a big part of life. And as adults, you crave that and secretly inside you, you want to be around like-minded people, um, that you can just have conversations with. And I mean, that sounds silly or goofy maybe to some folks who are hearing this for the first time, but if you kind of just deep down, I mean, that's, that's what life's about. And that's what this club's about. Um, and I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but maybe that's a secret sauce. But, but I jokingly said the free table earlier, and I just want this to not be lost. I mean, one of the things, Martin, do you know when the free table was introduced at our club meetings? Um, it had to be when Virgil started coming. Yeah, I was going to say because we have Virgil Bauer, <laughs> one of our members, is like an expert at the free the, – what the free table is is every meeting, there's a table in the middle of the room. 
um, and people just bring stuff and put on it and it's just there free for the taking. And it's just such a relief to go there and dump some junk you have and watch people take it with a smile on their face. And it's also fun to go there and dig around and pick some up for yourself. So it's just a tradition that the club always had. And we always have a lot of fun with it every month at every meeting. Um, and we have a couple members who are just, you know, we that just love to take part in it. And it's just a fun thing. So maybe that's a secret sauce, David. I don't know. <laughs> Well, and I think there's also a little bit of alchemy, you know, where it's just, it's stuff we can't explain and it just, it makes it special, right? But the free table has started to kind of shift into some of the other groups as well, too. I know Tom Quinn had a, a free table uh, at his meetup and then um, Mike DiStefano had one at, at Sithmas as well, too. And uh, people were very interested. So it's it's uh, it's a great yeah, thing. Yeah, we, we brought the free table to Sithmas, okay, so... Okay, yeah. so that's the secret sauce then. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Martin, how can you can you talk a little bit about how the club is structured? Yes, in fact, it's a it's a running joke among the club presidents and and that uh, the the DC club is is full of bureaucracy, just like the government right here in DC where we live. <laughs> but as we as we referred to earlier we do have a charter uh, where we are a legal uh, entity registered in the state of Virginia we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization uh, we have a board of directors it's all very professional <laughs> yeah. I, I joke around with them a lot about it and I always joke around at the meetings about oh let's hear the treasury report but Deep down inside, I, I appreciate the fact that they do take it serious and that I, I think it's a reason why the club has lasted so long and been so successful is that there is leadership and there's people who take it serious. So I, I, I truly appreciate that aspect of it. I think that's also part of the secret sauce when you think about it, um, that you know people do take it seriously. They show up, they care, they're on top of things. Um, and, and I, you know, again, when you have a club that, that runs for literally 20 years, um, that doesn't just happen unless there's planning and, uh, and care into it, you know, and, and people taking it seriously. So yeah, that's, that's a great, great answer. I think it's worth noting. Um, I mean, if, you know, Martin thought back to that very first meeting, um, he's pretty much it. I mean, especially amongst like the leadership of the club. I mean, the club got going, it got established, it was very successful, and that's all due to the efforts of the people who were originally there and created a great organization that was just as organized as we are now. But all those guys are pretty much gone now. Martin is our chairman now and has been for quite a while, but he's the third president, chairman, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we've had, you know, a lot of clubs are driven by the force of a single personality or, you know, something like that. Um, or a core group of people that are, you know, just have been there the whole time. And in many ways we've turned over membership once, twice, three times, maybe even depending upon how you look at it. Uh, and it's, you know, this underlying structure, I think that allows it to, to survive turnover. I mean, DC is a very transient area. Um, I'd think only a few of the people on this call are from DC, uh, or the DC area. Um, 
we all moved here and many of us will move away at some point. We have a lot of, you know, remember the most, the most common reason why somebody's going to leave the club is because they leave the area for work or for whatever reason. Uh, and it's this organization that allows it to continue and be strong, I think. And uh, a few of you have alluded to the fact that there is a, a small core group that really helps to keep this club running, even through its its various challenges and, and people moving away and, and shifts in, in leadership and direction. Um, what are some of the challenges that you have faced as a club? Well, certainly you, you nail it right there, is trying to find events that will appeal to a lot of people to, to get them to come. Uh, even our 20th anniversary event, uh, you know, it's the, the ticket sales start slowly and you wonder why, why is this going so slowly? And, you know, don't, don't people like this? Wouldn't you like to do this? Wouldn't anybody like to do this? We've had a number of, of, um, ideas come up and, uh, you know, it just will we'll present it to the club members at a meeting and, you know, somebody will just say, ah, we're not going to go bowling. And it's like, and then, and then it just, it just ruins it for everybody. You know, it's just like, oh, okay, I guess nobody wants to go bowling. And, and, you know, so you, you try to figure out things that everybody would like to do uh, different things, you know, because like, like we said, we don't like to have it in a, in a, in a, in a library every week uh, or every month. Um, you know, we want to kind of get out and do different things and, you know, and that's a great way, you know, to do these different sorts of things. It's a great way to kind of get to know people, puts them in a different environment and, and it can be a lot of fun. And then of course we'll go out later and, and, and eat dinner and and have a few drinks and, you know, it's, it's a really fun day. But I think that's, to me, that's always the hardest part is when we kind of, the board will sit around and try to brainstorm things to do and, we're all just kind of looking at each other and somebody will come up with an idea and then somebody else will say, Oh yeah, but you know, this guy won't like that. And they're like, Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And, um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's hard. What has been the way that you've, you found that works best as far as keeping that momentum going and getting people to be interested and excited about the events that you plan and that, um, you know, that you're able to, to ask people to volunteer and to become a part of it? I think the main thing is just having not just the core group, but the whole club, I think, recognizes the value of being a member. And one way that we have managed to keep that uh, is is the couple things we we yes we have monthly meetings they're often at libraries maybe that's boring but people know what to expect every month they're comfortable they can come to the library they know what's going to happen they know in general who's going to be there it's it's a it's a comfortable situation another point of stability that i see is the active members, in a sense, all help each other with their collections and uh, and with their fandom. They, we all help each other so much, it's almost like our collection would suffer if we left the club or if we didn't have each other. So that, that, all, that provides a kind of a stable uh, environment for everybody and uh, helps uh, keep the club together. 
Martin, you bring up a really good topic, and it's one that I, I did want to ask a few of you about. Um, there is, in in working together and in, in helping one another, um, you know, I find that we as collectors, we definitely learn from each other. Um, have any of you learned anything in particular from other members of the DC Club that you've taken with you? I learned how to be a focus collector. Seeing... Uh, I remember it was uh, Pat Shear who was a, a focus collector of Luke in his X-Wing pilot outfit. That's pretty much all he collected. And that opened my eyes to a new way of collecting. And so now I'm a Yoda focus collector. So the, the question is, did we, did we learn something from the club that we've taken on board and, and implemented? Is that Yes. Is that kind of what you're asking? Okay. Yes. Well, uh, while everybody's thinking, I got an easy one because, I, like I said, you know, um, I wasn't really a collector. I, I wanted to be, but I moved around a lot. Didn't have a lot of stability to, to to manage a collection. I didn't even know where to start, other than you know, getting the books or comics, things like that. And when I joined the club, it was actually Tom's house, and it was Jeff Shock uh, going and seeing their collections and just kind of sitting in their collecting rooms and staring at their posters and looking at their posters. And I was like, I didn't know you can buy these. Uh, I had the one sheets from the the prequels, but I didn't know you can get the vintage post. I didn't even know there was a, a place for that. And uh, so I've learned a lot about resources, uh, a lot a lot about bootlegs versus non bootlegs. Uh, Danny Castle, one of our other members, is one of the poster club, uh, or excuse me, the Facebook uh, page moderators for the poster group, and he's in our club. And you know, so I ask him questions all the time. Um, so I guess just knowing that certain things are accessible that you didn't even know, you know, um, just didn't know where the resources were. So for me, that that's what I take away that, that there's a group of experts I can go to that are my friends, and then not only that, you know, I can see you know what they've they got and this, if I want that or not, or want to chase it down, or um, and then save myself a lot of trouble by maybe buying a bootleg or something. You know, they're there, and I can you know f- learn a lot from them. So there's a a fountain of knowledge there. Multiple people have different things to bring to that, and it, it I can absorb it all. You know. Marcus, isn't it funny that it it sometimes takes our friends to open doors for us that we maybe can't open ourselves? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would say I learn something every week from our club. And I say that because once the pandemic started, we started a habit of getting on a, a Zoom call every Wednesday night. And I've been an active participant on that because we just get on there and just sit and talk. I mean, sometimes there's long times of silence and then sometimes we'll have conversations about what we've picked up or just what we saw on Facebook or what we saw on eBay. And between, uh, I mean, Martin knows everything about star Wars. It seems like, I mean, he's started the star Wars collector newsletter. Martin, is that what it was called? Right. I mean, would you call it a newsletter? I mean, back in the day, and he's an encyclopedia of all star Wars products, you know, Jonathan with his food, Matt with everything, Hector with everything, Boone with everything, Marcus with posters and autographs, Danny Katzel with posters and autographs and vintage toys. I mean, there's so many people in our club that aren't just knowledgeable. They're considered, subject matter experts in the hobby. And so like I, I treat it as a privilege that I get to up on a zoom call every week and just pick their brains about anything, you know? So I, 
it's hard to pinpoint one thing I've learned because I feel like I'm learning something from key members in our club every week. And it's a, it's, it's an honor. Eric, you bring up a really good point, And I think it's a really underrated point as well, that the, the resources that we have through our friendships and through uh, members of a club and through the club itself, we're dealing with people who are just as passionate as we are and who are really truly experts in the fields that they study, you know, in the areas that they collect. And I, I think just one of my favorite things to do is to go to a meetup and to talk to people about the different stuff that they collect. And just to, I, I come away with, with knowledge of, of items and areas that I've never known before. Um, and I, I think that makes a huge difference. And then, you know, when it's, when you have specific questions as well, having resources, uh, you know, like our friends who are able to help us, you know, and to answer these questions and to build on our knowledge, our existing knowledge is just, it, it's an absolute blessing. And it's one of the joys that, again, I, I don't think is discussed enough, but really what our, what our friends know, the knowledge our friends possess is, is pretty invaluable. It's, it's one thing, it's kind of funny you said that, just, just to add on to kind of what Eric was saying, um, he, he just listed off a bunch of names and what people are, are uh, good at, what they know. But it's funny because Eric and, and Jonathan, of course, the nicest guy in, in the Star Wars collecting community, they know everybody, as well as Martin. Like he said, Martin has such a long history. So it's not even the, the collecting aspect. It's knowing the people. You know, I, I don't know. We get on these conversations, like Eric mentioned, uh, once a week. And they just start spouting off names. They're talking about this guy or that guy. And I'm just like, I'm taking notes. Like, oh, that's what this guy, oh, that, I've seen that guy on Facebook, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they're collecting friendships. That, and, and I feel like uh, when we're in a, uh, uh, an event like Sithmas or Celebration or something like that, I just kind of stand next to them or Matt Fox or Hector or whatever. And I just listen to them talk to people. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe I'm standing next to this guy, you know. Um, so I think I think that it's not just the things, but it's the people that they collect. And I'm I'm happy to know them, you know, kind of be like proxy friendship in a way. Well, Marcus, just to kind of uh, riff on that a little bit. When I came to the club, I didn't really know anybody. Right? I, I had gone to Celebration Three. This the club was set up, but you know, I'm fairly introverted. I didn't go talk to anybody at the club. And again, it was to echo back to Barb, Bob Martinazzi and sort of his importance in a lot of our kind of I, I would call it an origin story. He gave a business card for the club to my sister in law who was picking up myself and my, and my brother from the airport. And I took that card home and and you know still didn't do anything with it for almost a year until I joined and joined the club. And, you know, of course, I knew Martin's name as, you know, part of the sort of old guard of, of, of Star Wars collecting, I suppose. Um, but it was really for me getting to know Martin. And then uh, I connected with Gus Lopez a little bit on, you know, just doing some trades and stuff. But um, really what I learned was just the importance of, of friendships. And, you know, to some extent, I think some people listen to these things and say, well, you know, you are collectors. It is a little bit more about, you know things just in friendships and and that's fair right it, it but but in both sort of friendships and just the importance of networking with other other collectors and you know i am hardwired you know introvert kind of thing so um it took a lot for me to overcome sort of my own sort of 
you know, embedded nature to, to kind of get to know people. But man, once I did, it, it really just changed the, you know, it changed my collecting, what I could, what I could do, what I was interested in. And I am a way better collector for having, you know, been a part of this group. And it, it really did, it really, for me, really did start here and, and the, the, the friendships I made here and, and just sort of figuring out that, yeah, I, I could, I could do this. If I could be part of this community, you know, I, maybe I could be a part of the larger community. So uh, I'm sort of forever thankful for the club to kind of, and what it's what it's done to just kind of help me in, in sort of the things I'm interested in. It's it's funny you mentioned uh, being introverted. It actually took me two years uh, from learning about the club in 2007 at uh, California uh, Celebration Four, and it took me two years before I actually took that big step and went to my first meeting at a library. Um, so that's that's definitely something that uh, I saw in uh, a bunch of the collectors, you know, how um, the transfer of knowledge and how willing they were, um, you know, in passing it along and making you feel welcome and, you know, making you feel part of the uh, group. And I guess that's probably the biggest thing I've, I've taken from other collectors is just try to emulate them and, you know, make myself available to as many people as possible. One of the things that our founder uh, wanted to do from the very beginning that uh, was to give back to the community. And very early on, he started what became a tradition uh, of creating custom, uh, exclusive lapel pins of Star Wars characters that we would take donations for and all the proceeds go to local children's and family charities. Uh, We've produced 10 pins in the last 20 years, every two years. And we've raised over $43,000 for various charities over the years. Special thanks to Lucasfilm for approving our designs and allowing us to do that work. I think that's a big part of it, too, when Lucasfilm acknowledges and approves uh, the designs and for, for this work. Um, what types of charities do you work toward? We focus on charities that help children and families. For example, uh, one year we supported the uh, Children's Hospital in D.C. Uh, We've supported uh, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. That's for military families. Um, Aluminum cans for burned children. Uh, the National Institute of Health. Uh, they have a they have a shelter for families. Those are those are the highlights. And can any of you speak on any of the rewarding aspects or any of the moments from your charitable work that have affected you? Uh, Bob was involved with t- Taps. Uh, I did not know that separately. I was actually involved with them 
Um, and I didn't know the club was voting on the pin. I missed the voting. So actually we were already working on the pin and we had selected them as a charity, uh, without me even realizing that was the charity that I had worked with on my own. My sister was involved with TAPS because uh, her husband was killed in Iraq in 2006. And TAPS is an organization that has like these seminars around the country uh, for spouses, for siblings, for especially for the children. And there's a big DC, uh, one in DC every year around Memorial Day. And that's when the one my niece attended for a number of years. And now she's like a peer mentor because she's an adult now. But, um, so TAPS does a lot of things. I was aware of them. And, and again, like I said, Bob Bob was also working with them. I did not know that. And then when we uh, we, we did was the BB-8 pen, that was for TAPS. So it was like a nice surprise for me to find out that the club was actually working with the charity that I was already part of. Uh, I know that we presented the, the check. They took us around their offices. They were very grateful. Uh, and, they, you know, they stay in touch with us. I know Martin said uh, they're one of, the, one of the charities that send us a Christmas card every year. Isn't that true, Martin? So I know they... You know, I know it's just nice to see that we're putting into a charity that uh, does good things. Our latest charity pin, which features Grogu, is supporting TAPS. We, our next pin will be next year in 2024. And at that time, we'll, we may choose a new charity or we may choose to support TAPS again. Well, we also uh, don't. We still have some left for Ruth's uh, Ruth's house. Yes, we still ha- we still have some Leia pins, which is supporting House of Ruth. House. I mean, that's one of the good things about the club, and uh, just the openness of it is when we do have a new pin. One, you know, we have a couple talented artists in the group and you know we'll ask them to come up with designs maybe we'll give them a suggestion so we'll vote on the actual pin and then we'll ask members to suggest charities you know things that are personally important to them for whatever reason we try to do it local dc charities and you know uh, it's not always kids focused but frequently is Uh, so you know if there is something if you're a member of the club and you're really passionate about one charity or one cause or whatever uh, you can propose it. You can advocate, you know, and we vote, and that's how we choose. So we don't really know going in. Uh, it's not like uh, the board gets together and says we're going to give to charity ABC. Uh, you know, it's it, it changes. It you know sometimes we repeat, and sometimes we welcome new new ideas. So uh, again, it's just another way that everybody can feel, you know, some sort of. Uh, valuable, you know, that every every member of the club has input into all the decisions. Yeah, attending celebration, I know that we sell them there, and or excuse me for donations. And there's people that I've seen chase us down, like they come up to the table and say, "Oh my God, I've been waiting for you to come out with a new pen. I want to buy your new pen." So I know there's some out people out there that aren't in the DC area that follow our pens, and they they're very uh, very aggressive in, in making sure they get the newest edition. So it's, it's pretty cool to see people support us. They have nothing to do with the DC area. And what's the cumulative total Martin over the years that we've, we've collected. $43,000. Yeah. And may, maybe David, that's another piece of the secret sauce of why our clubs lasted so long is that the clubs focused on others and not just self-centered, you know, with this charitable acts aspect. Yeah, and um, um, Matt, you you guys had mentioned that you have uh, artists that do create these pins, and um, 
they are, uh, I assume, local artists, but can you give us an idea of, of who they are? Uh, yeah, the uh, the two members uh, who have uh, generated uh, the vast majority of our charity pins and our club logos, our banners, all this sort of stuff, uh, is uh, uh, Jeff Shock and Mike Morosi, uh, who, you know, going back, Mike predates me in the club, and I think Jeff joined almost at the same time that I did, which, you know, was 18 years ago. And uh, we rely on them may- maybe too much, you know, <laughs> uh, but they do great work, and it's they're both real assets to the club. Excellent. And now we have the 20th anniversary of the club coming up where it's the 20th anniversary celebration. Um, I, first of all, I just, I want to congratulate all of you in the DC club um, for hitting this milestone because it really is incredible when you realize that it is something that is, is built by all of you um, and that, and that you've sustained it for this long. Uh, Tom, can you speak a little bit about what the 20th anniversary means to to the members of the club and how you all are celebrating this milestone. Hmm. Well, that first part's kind of tough. I guess it means different things to different people. Um, I, I just, I, I think it goes back to that thing uh, that we've, that's kind of been a thread through this whole conversation is, and that's stability and um, um, just seeing the same people and, you know, consistency i think consistency is has been the key really and the free table consistency and the free table are the are the keys to what's kept this going i think for everybody um i don't think anybody would <laughs> i don't think anybody would go you know to to a meeting every month and want to see different people there and not see you know some of the same people again you know i i, th- I think everybody wants to see their friends there so yeah, I think that's 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 what kind of makes it special. Um, as far as the 20th anniversary is concerned, um, it, I guess last year we started having a, a board level discussions about what we wanted to do. And it started off, you know, where we said, oh, we'll just do something kind of small. And it's kind of kind of grown a little bit. I, I wouldn't say it's overwhelming, but um, but it's definitely uh become definitely you want to call it an event i mean it's it's it really i think it will be a good uh uh, you know drawing a line under 20 years um so what we decided to do um was uh approach the uh afi silver theater and cultural center over in silver spring maryland and see if we could um rent out the theater for a few hours and uh, play Return of the Jedi because it's the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. Um, In addition to that, um, we decided that it might be a good idea to to present a history of Star Wars in Washington, Um, D.C. Eric and myself uh, come from the D.C. area, so we kind of have some firsthand knowledge of it. I I would certainly not call myself an expert on it by any means, but we certainly have, you know, a a knowledge of it and some um, good information uh, going back many years. So we kind of wanted to present the history of Star Wars in D.C. as seen by, you know, Washington, D.C. And so that was sort of the the first idea was to present that. 
and um, the events that have happened here in D.C. related to Star Wars, you know, that are, that are specific to Washington, D.C. So that was the first idea. It was to have th- that presentation and play Return of the Jedi. And then it became, well, we need to have a history of the club, too. I mean, that's pretty obvious. It's our 20th anniversary. We're not just celebrating Return of the Jedi. And so we added on the history of the, the D.C. Star Wars Collecting Club, which which Martin will be handling. And... Uh, as we went along, we discovered that there's a fan film um, that was filmed right here in Washington, D.C. that won the George Lucas Selects uh, Award at Celebration 2 uh, back in 2003. And the filmmaker is still here in the D.C. area, and we were able to get permission to screen his film. It's called Waiting for Jar Jar. And like I said, it was um, filmed right uh, mainly outside of the uh, Uptown Theater in Washington, D.C. And, of course, the Uptown Theater was one of 32 theaters that premiered Star Wars on May 25th, 1977. So that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of a landmark here in D.C. as far as uh, Star Wars history and being one of the first 32 theaters. And um, so, like I said, it just kind of just naturally evolved. And as we, we discussed this further, we, we had other ideas that came and went. And we've added the idea of a roundtable discussion with uh, some of the people that are here today and on, on this podcast and a few other people. And um, oh, waiting for Jar Jar, I should say, I should mention, um, is about uh, the, the people who were waiting in line uh, to to get tickets for Episode One, The Phantom Menace, and kind of the trials and tribulations of um, getting tickets in a kind of um, new era of going to the movies where. Uh, you had the ticket, um, what was it? The, uh, the, the movie phone, movie phone. And then you had the internet just starting up really. And, uh, people trying to get online to get tickets. So it was all kind of new. And, and these, these, these star Wars fans, uh, didn't quite know what to make of it. Uh, and so th- it kind of captures this sort of transitioning period of, of going to the movies. And I, I think that's, that's a, an important key to, um, to the film and uh, what makes it kind of interesting, it, it, may, it kind of documents this new way of going to the movies. So we added that. And I also want to add that there is a special um, uh, surprise star of waiting for Jar Jar that I think you'll have to come to the, to the uh, screening to see. Um, but uh, I, I won't, I won't mention him by name here, but um so that'll be great. Uh, so we've got that on on um, on Sunday, April the twenty third, big event at AFI Cultural uh, AFI Silver Theater and Cultural Center in Silver Spring, Maryland. And after that, we're all going to go out to dinner at McGinty's Pub, which is right around the corner. And uh, from about four to eight p.m., we've got a special uh, menu all set up, and it's going to be a real nice evening. We'll have charity raffles there. Uh, we've got a lot of great stuff to um, to raffle off to to all of our attendees, and as I said, it, as we were kind of uh, planning this, it, it kind of grew, and we decided to have a mini Kessel run the day before, and four of our members are going to be dis- uh, showing their collections, opening their collections to um, to uh, people who'd like to come and see. So that'll be running uh, Saturday from about 11 until 11 a.m. until was it 10 or 11, 10 or 11. I can't remember um, until, oh, until it ends. 
And then, then, like I said, Sunday will be our big AFI event. So um, if you'd like to, uh, you know, any of your people like to get tickets to the event, there are still some tickets to the AFI event available. And you can go to um, the uh, DC Star Wars Collecting Club uh, Facebook page, and there are links there that will direct you to getting the tickets. Fantastic. And if... Um... If somebody wanted to, you know, to reach out personally and, and had questions about it, um, what would be the best way they could go about doing that as well? The best way is probably to send an email to president at dcswcc.org, and we'll get you all the information. Okay. And now just a few final thoughts. I have a, a question for each of you that I want to ask. Um, so we'll start here with Tom. As a club, what things have you done together that you never imagined would be possible? <laughs> oh, okay. Let me think about that for a second. What things have I done? Have we done that I never thought would be possible? Well, I, I've, I've got to say the first thing that jumps to my mind is, um, is ICE 2016. I mean, everybody, I, I, I didn't have a whole lot to do with that. I, my collection was part of the, the Kessel run, but the people that worked on that, Martin and uh, Jeff Shock with so much of the, um, of the, uh, the swag, uh, of course, Bob Martinazzi. I mean, I, I, I don't even know all the people who really, really worked on the, the, the fine details of it. Um, Jonathan, I think you, you did a lot of work on it. It was, to me, that was one of the best things that I have ever been involved with. You know, like I said, I just had a small part of it, but, um, so much effort, so much time was put into it. There's just no end to it. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, four days of people just going to people's collections and, and having these great parties at night. I mean, everybody here, uh, Matt had a great party at his house. Um, Hector had his collection open. Martin's collection was open. Eric had, had this uh, great party at night at his collection. Um, and, and there was a beach party over uh, on the Chesapeake Bay looking out at the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Jonathan had a great, uh, it, it was uh, a big cookout at night. Um, with a bonfire. I mean, and his collection, of course, was open. It was just an, an incredible weekend, and so much work went into it, and it came off absolutely flawlessly. I mean, I, I, like I said, that was the absolutely the best event that I was involved with and went to, better than any celebration. Um, it was just, it was phenomenal, and I, I <laughs> I, I guess I, I can believe it. I can believe that it happened, obviously, because it happened. But I can't believe it went off as well as it did. And it really did. And I think that the, the people who came from far and, you know, far and wide really had a good time. And I think that, you know, everybody just poured their heart and souls into making this the best event and putting the DC star Wars collecting club in the best possible light. And I don't know if it can ever happen again. I mean, I certainly think our 20th anniversary of uh, weekend coming up will be a really great weekend. It's, you know, it's not quite as sprawling. Um, but, 
ice was just that was that was that was something else. Okay, that's a good answer. Um, Jonathan, what are some of the moments that if you were to, to comprise a highlight reel of your collecting journey so far, what are some of the moments related to the DC club that have made it into that highlight reel? Uh, well, a recent one, I organized a trip. Uh, one of my good friends in the hobby is Duncan Jenkins and, and Ann Jenkins as well. Um, so I had the good fortune to be out at his collection when he, when he opened it, um, and had for years sort of talked about going there and, um, finally sort of, um, led the charge in making that happen. So we had 10 of our club members go out and, and visit the Sissonian, um, in September of, uh, 2022. So, um, you know, so for me, that's sort of one of the, one of the standouts, um, you know, which was just sort of, it was rewarding to sort of, um, you know, put on that thing and, and not that there was that much to it, but it was, it was just really fun and, you know, to have great level of participation and, uh, go out and, and do that. Um, another highlight, uh, Eric mentioned earlier, Bob, uh, Martinazzi being at Caps games and, and he would want you to know that he, it was not a Caps fan. He was definitely a, a Pens fan. <laughs> um, so um, but it was cool to, to, to be there that night. Um, you know, cause it was like the one and only time that the caps did a, a star Wars night. And, uh, but Bob was there with his, with his R2 and, um, you know, and, uh, Eric and I sort of bought up all the, war- you know, they sold themed warm up pucks for the thing. Uh, Eric more so than I, but, you know, we bought up most of the, <laughs> the, the warm up pucks or a good, good percentage of them. So, you know, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, again, just to echo uh, what Tom said, you know, the ice, the ice thing, you know, so all of those are sort of really, for me, like high level um, standout events, uh, you know, and, and, and sort of moments with the club. It's a good highlight reel so far, and I wish you many more to come. Yeah, definitely. And I know there will be, you know, and with with the anniversary event, you know, I, I know that will that will that will definitely make the highlight reel. It's nice to know that, and, and it sounds like for the amount of time and thought that was put into it and how special it's going to be and how it's a little bit of everything, I think it's going to wind up in the highlight reel for all of you. Absolutely. Hector, what does Star Wars mean to you? Star Wars, to me, as cliche as it sounds, means family, friendship. Just there's something about building moments with uh you know, people that I've grown up with here in my house, as well as uh, people I've gotten to know over the years. Uh, I believe that most people that stick around the hobby evolve past the point of buying things just to buy them and actually start looking at all the all the memories that you end up uh, making with. With friends, it's just like when you're growing up and, you know, you go out and you you hang out and you do things and you think you're invincible, uh, you know, playing Star Wars. Kind of sort of the same thing. I think it's always special to share something with friends, you know, especially if you're going in and you're making new friends. But then also to be able to bring members of your family into it. 
Um, and I, I've met your family and, and they're just as passionate and as, as excited to be there as you are. And they've really become part of, of the community, which is a really nice thing. So, um, you, you truly are blessed in, in that sense. And, um, you know, I think if you're looking at a highlight reel, I'm sure that, you know, moments with your family are, are in those, those club moments as well, too. Um, is there, uh, is there a particular moment that, that you think of immediately that just, you know, that, that, uh, maybe one in the future that you're looking forward to? Uh, looking at event moments, uh, in the future, I would say, uh, there's, there's a few that come to mind, but, uh, probably Japan is the, uh, the one that I, that I'm looking forward to the most as it's in our bucket list and we'll definitely try to be there at least a week before celebration so we can get to enjoy the country and before celebration um, other than that uh, we'll probably be I don't know there's there's a bunch of uh, meetups and whatnot that is coming this year as well as next year. So, but probably I'll, I'll probably stick with uh, Japan for, for now. Okay, I wish you luck in 2025. Um, Matt, how has your relationship to collecting or the franchise in general evolved over the decades? Significantly. Um, <laughs> it's I, a good start. I, um, you know, I look back on, uh, you know, the sort of, you know, my attitude towards the, the the franchise and collecting and all that. I mean, obviously, you go back to the beginning. You go back 45 years or whatever it is to when, you know, the Star Wars came out. Um, obviously, I liked the film, I you know, and I wanted the toys. I was six years old, and that was my thing. And over the years, you know, I liked the films. I liked the special editions. I liked the prequels. And, you know, I was always somebody to defend them, uh, you know, as, you know, some people became jaded or some people became more like, I only like the first film or the first two films or whatever. Um, but now I've noticed, you know, in the past 10 years as, as well, as, as I've moved along through the club, um, like going to celebration, you know, just got back yesterday from London. Uh, I don't go to celebration because of Star Wars. I don't, I didn't, I, I didn't see the Ahsoka trailer or the, well, Indiana Jones, but whatever. A lot of the news until I got back, you know, I saw it kind of on a big screen when I was there, but I couldn't hear it. You know, the, a lot of this, I was joking with my wife. I had to get home today and see what happened at celebration because I missed <laughs> it there because yeah. it's, you know, you go and that's secondary. It, you know, Star Wars celebration is the excuse that you go to get together and meet with your friends. And, you know, more locally, more relevant to this discussion, the Star Wars collect, you know, Star Wars is the excuse that I get, that I use every, the first Saturday of every month to go to out and get together with my friends. And, you know, we, sometimes we don't talk about Star Wars. We'll talk, you know, there's, if you're a hockey fan, join the Star Wars DC collecting club. Uh, cause there's a lot of hockey talk. Um, but you know, it's just, it's, it's evolved from a, from a fan being a fan of films and a, you know, 
a collecting hobbyist, which, you know, obviously I am both of those things still very much, um, to being, you know, sort of an, um, an overall, uh, an umbrella that covers, you know, many of the best friendships that I have at this point in my life and for the past couple decades. Um, so in a way it's become, you know, you know, more important and more personal over the years, uh, and less about a movie or a series of movies. And it sounds like you've shaped it from what you were experiencing to, to kind of your own version of it now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Star Wars is so big now, uh, the whole franchise, everything, you know, any part of it, uh, you can't know ever, you can't, you can't be the encyclopedia of everything Star Wars now. It's, uh, it would be impossible. There's just too much of it. So yeah, you got to pick your own, your, your, your own fandom, so to speak. And, you know, share that, you know, not just with yourself, but, you know, find other people that like the same sort of thing. Uh, and clubs like ours and events like celebration or ice or something like that. Um, facilitate that uh without that it would be almost impossible i think yeah it sounds like you're using your collecting skills to sort of curate the experience the larger experience that you're looking for now now that you have this knowledge and the networking and the connections and the friendships um that it's it's really evolved into something um personal and special to you absolutely yes okay um martin what are some of the goals for the club over the next decade? Well, it's always a goal to try to expand. We want to, we want more members. We want more people to experience this with us. We want, we want more people to help us. We want to help more people. Barring that, the, the goal is to not let people fall by the wayside. Let's not let anybody lose interest. Okay, and I, I think that's an important one. And if you continue along the lines that you you have been, um, you know, with sharing information together, keeping it consistent, um, building and, and continuing the momentum of the group, um, I, I I don't I think you'll be successful for the next ten years or so at least. Um, Eric, why is the club so important to you? Well, hearing Hector's answer about Star Wars meaning family to him um, hit me on a couple levels. One is, I mean, it's the same for me. I mean, my two sons, they grew up loving like the Clone Wars, right? And so like they're now equally... I know you're not going to be able to relate to this, David, but like my sons love Ahsoka. Um, Never heard of her. Not sure. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So it's just cool to see them excited, um, you know, like with the new Ahsoka show coming out. The fact that my one son has watched the Clone Wars cartoon series, the entire all seasons five times over. Um, So, you know, that, that that's just fun. But th- when Hector talked about his family, I remember a moment at the last celebration. I had to meet up with his wife to get her special swag that she created with a group of other women. 
Um, and so they're like, hey, come up to our hotel room. And I go up to their hotel suite, actually. And it's Hector, his wife, his two daughters, his one daughter's fiance. And they're all in this one room, snuggled up in beds with swag everywhere. And they're just enjoying the moment as a family. Hector, I'm sure you remember that. Um, and that, that just, that's why, I, I, David, I forget what your exact question was, but that's what makes me excited of being part of this community. It's just moments like that. You just go up in someone's hotel room and everyone's just hanging out and enjoying Star Wars. And, you know, um, I do actually forget what the question was, David. What was it? The, the, the question was, why does collecting in the club mean so much to you? And I, yeah. I think you answered it in, in the most yeah, perfect way possible. Yeah. It's, it's just moments like that. It's seeing folks and my friends you know, enjoying Star Wars for why they love it. I'm not here to judge anyone or here to, um, you know, impose my collecting uh, mantra on anyone. I just let people be who they want to be and I enjoy hanging out with them. Uh, again, that's a beautiful answer. That's that's why we're, we're part of the club and that's why we connect. Um, and, and I think, you know, really all of you are wonderful representatives of our hobby and of our community. Um, Marcus, I know that you uh, give a lot of the club members grief if they go on to something like a podcast and they don't promote the club uh, or if they forget to promote the club. So I'm giving you an opportunity now to promote the club, Marcus. Um, how would you pitch the DC club to another collector or Star Wars fan that would show some interest in, in possibly joining something? Uh, I'd ask him, what took them so long? What, what are you doing? What are you waiting <laughs> around for? Uh, I mean... God, you know, uh, we got guys, uh, you know, uh, obviously uh, a lot, uh, you have Eric is like your co-host, I think, on your podcast. He's he's on every other one. Uh, he's Jean Shea, We have to. Exactly. You know, I mean, um, our members are, are all over the place. And, and although we're, you know, 50 plus members, I mean, we still have some people there in the area that have come and go. So uh, it's not like we're a hidden secret. So uh, I, I honestly, you know. I just think it just makes an effort to show up. And I'm one of those people who took a few years because I was coming and going and I'd miss a meeting or I find out about it too late and I already had plans. Um, it just took me coming to a meeting and then coming to another meeting and then not being lazy and, and continuing to come. And it's not that hard. So it's not a large investment. Um, and I think it was one of our members, Deb, who, who when I, said i don't really have a lot of stuff and i don't have a big collection and she says it's not the size it's about showing up and uh you know um if you have one item then you're a collector and if you're a fan that's all it takes so yeah what i, I would just tell somebody they just need to show up and that's all it is excellent so marcus you're, you're not going to yell at us for not mentioning the club during this podcast right <laughs> well you notice i started off by mentioning the club so I did it for you in this case. Okay. I'm doing the work for you, Eric. I just, I just expect you when you're doing solo to, you know, carry the weight. <laughs> All okay. right. Well, Marcus, Marcus, bring us home and tell us once again, if somebody wants to get connected to the DC club, what is the way to do so? Well, the best way is, is like Martin had mentioned earlier, uh, you can email president at uh, dcswcc.org. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, uh, DC Star Wars Collecting Club. Uh, that's the public facing uh, page. And then um, we have the website, right? DCSWCC.org. Um, so any of those ways, you, you'll be able to get a hold of somebody and then somebody will reach back out to you. And then we, we show up at local conventions. Uh, so look for us there. If you see 
if you see our table, come by and say hi. Excellent. You guys are very special. Congratulations on hitting your 20th anniversary. Um, I know the weekend celebration is going to be a fantastic one. And uh, I just, Martin, Jonathan, Matthew, Eric, Marcus, Hector, and Tom, I want to thank you all for taking time today to sit with me at this roundtable and to share a little bit of the history and what the club means to you. It really is special. And, and again, I wish you all the best for the next two decades. Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very thank much. Thank you. So that's only a taste of the history and impact of the Washington, D.C. Metro Area Star Wars Collecting Club. If you'd like to learn more about the club or would like to become part of it, please visit their Facebook page or check out their website at dcswcc.org. My humble thanks to Jonathan McElwain, Marcus Galloway, Hector Ilario, Tom Boone, Matt Fox, Eric Yanache Janicki, and Martin Thurn for taking the time to sit down with us for the roundtable discussion. I shared an episode last year that highlighted a panel from the 2019 annual, in which members from the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club shared their story. And with the DC Club Roundtable, I wanted to continue this series, giving members from the DC area the chance to tell their story. Over the next year, I plan on inviting you to more roundtable discussions and episodes with other regional collecting clubs, so you could learn about them as well. And you never know, it might be an episode like this that causes you to seek out a club of your own to join. And a decade or so from now, you may be part of a roundtable celebrating a milestone anniversary, pointing back to an episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production.